This episode of the Miriam Institute podcast features a presentation by Dr. Michael Oren during his tenure in the governing coalition of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, where Dr. Oren was a member of the Kulanu party led by Moshe Kahlon. I've dug this recording out of our archives for your listening pleasure because it's always such a privilege to hear the words of this man, a former ambassador of the State of Israel to the United States, a prolific author, historian, scholar, and former combat officer. I want his comments out in the open, timeless as they are. Here, Dr. Oren outlines the vital nature and machinations of Israel's democratic system, and he actually argues that Israel's democratic character is central to the very survival of the Jewish state. This briefing was recorded during his presentation to the 2017 Law and Policy Tour to the State of Israel, ILAP, from inside the Knesset. ILAP is a flagship initiative of the Miriam Institute, which brings elite graduate and doctoral candidates from approximately 15 different countries from around the world, all of whom have a demonstrable commitment to public service, to the State of Israel for a substantive introduction to the country. ILAP alumni go on to form an international network of current and future leaders that's truly global in nature, and they also act as our representatives on campus upon their return to their studies. So the conclusion of the ILAP tour merely marks the commencement of their engagement with the State of Israel. A high incidence of our adjuncts are ILAP graduates, and I invite you to read their writings on our website in the adjunct section of the commentary tab. ILAP is made possible by way of your investment in the Miriam Institute. Consider sponsoring a delegate today and help us to impact upon the next generation of leaders now. Visit www.miriaminstitute.org forward slash ILAP. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute. Israel's future in Israel's hands. Always came back to the United States for my education. I have uh, an inordinate amount of degrees in Middle East history. Um, and, uh, and then came back intermittently for my military service here and stayed in the military. Uh, like Benji, I was a paratrooper um, and stayed on um, for many years and through various wars and operations. Uh, as recently as 2009. Um, um, I taught at universities. I taught at some of your universities. I understand where you came from. Um, and, um, and I was a writer, and I wrote books mostly about Middle Eastern history. Um, um, there's a book about the Six-Day War, a book about America's involvement in the Middle East called Power, Faith, and Fantasy. Uh, by law, I'm uh, prohibited from advancing their sales in front of you, but you should all know they're available at famously reduced prices. <laughs> on Amazon. In fact, some of these books, Amazon will actually pay you to buy them, um, to, to order them. So um, those. And then um, uh, I also had several government positions. I was an advisor to um, uh, Prime Minister Rabin during the early Oslo period in the early 90s. And then from 2009 to the end of 2014, I was Israel's ambassador in Washington um, and served uh, during actually both terms of the Obama administration. Came back, ran for government was elected to the government, uh, and now I'm in the government, which is to say I'm a member of Knesset and in the government. That's our system. 
um, which means uh, not only do I have my, my, my responsibilities as a minister, but I also am, am a voting member of this parliamentary body. Uh, and I'd like to talk to you very briefly about both of them. Benji, Benji was kindly enough to tell me that, that he said to you that if you have any difficult questions, save them for me. <laughs> so thanks a lot for that. I get all the tough uh, questions. I understood you, you talked to two of my colleagues from the Labor Party yes. from across the aisle. We have many aisles here, so it's across many aisles. But you happen to speak to two of my favorite uh, people from the opposition. And uh, I have great respect uh, both for Ayelet and for, uh, for Nachman, really. They're, they're great. Nachman was at one point my commander in the Army, so I can't say too many things about him, really. Uh, he's great, terrific people. Um, and it's good to be able to say that. Um, you are in uh, the DNA of Israel. This is it. This is the Knesset is the DNA. Uh, this is what make, which makes, makes this place work. You know, we say that Israel is a democratic state and it's a Jewish state. And it's often framed as sort of a, a intention with one another. Um, and sometimes, frankly, it is intention with one another. But I think that if you go take it to a deeper level, that, that Israel could not be a Jewish state unless it were a democratic state. And couldn't be a democratic state unless it was a Jewish state. And moreover, our democracy is essential for our security. Why? We have a population which is about 79% Jewish. 29%, 21% Arab. Um, uh, of the Arabs, uh, the vast majority are Muslim. And um, we also have a large um, uh, non-Arab Israeli Christian population, mostly from the former Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc, about 300,000 people out of a population of 8.4 million. Okay, so it's a significant population. You go to the churches on Christmas here, they're all, they're all filled. Uh, and it's the only growing, thriving Christian population in the Middle East today, which isn't saying very much because Christian populations are being eliminated throughout the Middle East, but ours is growing and thriving. And, and Israeli Arab Christians are, uh, per capita on average, uh, better educated and, and bit more affluent than Israeli Jews. So it's, it's an upwardly mobile population, very successful population. Uh, and we have 15 Arab members in the Knesset. We have Druze members of the Knesset. If you haven't know what the Druze are, they're a, a Middle Eastern people in this region, in, in Israel, Syria. Lebanon, Jordan, um, and we have Christian, we have uh, Jews of all different various stripes, and so we are a highly diverse, ethnically, racially, religiously um, diverse population here. I went to a bank, and I live in Jaffa. Jaffa's half, it's not half, but it's, 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 it's Arab and Jewish town. Today, in line with the bank, we're Africans, uh, French, a couple of Americans, um, a lot of Arabs, um, religious Jews, it's all in the bank. You're actually seeing sort of a microcosm of Israel in my bank this morning. That's a ridiculously long line. Um, <laughs> and my bank teller, whose name is Mohammed, speaks French, Arabic, uh, Hebrew, and English. So it's amazing. It's just, it was like an Israeli moment, which was something you realize, wow. Um, we yell a lot. This is a, a very loud democracy. It's, it's, it's sort of the British model, but it's the British model on steroids. And um, much of the yelling, um, and there's a debate about this, much of the yelling is not personal. And when we finish yelling with each other, you, have you been in the plenary yet? Yeah. You've, been, you've seen the, the plenary, the, behind the plenary there's a coffee shop where we adjourn to have coffee. Most people who scream and yell at each other and call each other everything but dog and idiot, there are words you can't use, um, will go after and hug each other and, and, and talk. There's a question with that, whether we are deceiving our public about the, about the depth of the animosity between us, whether it's all for show. There's a, there's a, there is an element of show. Um, the Knesset is televised, and there are people who are addicted to the Knesset channel. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the ultimate reality show, <laughs> seeing your elected officials scream at one another. 
Um, but there's a, there's a direct relationship between the, the decibel of the screening and the degree to which it's covered by television. Because I've been a chairman of, uh, of classified committees where nobody screams and the work is very serious. The minute the cameras come on, that's it. Because, you know, I'll, I'll travel four hours to speak to a group of 30 Israelis, but if I'm in front of the camera, I'm speaking to 20,000 Israelis, even if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So, of course, I'm going to give them my best show. Uh, it has also created a situation of filibusters, uh, which we didn't have in this country, and which we have unfortunately adopted from the American model. If you want to impress your friends at home, the word for filibuster in Hebrew, get this, write this down, is filibuster. <laughs> so we have filibusters that will go on all night because uh, on any given piece of legislation, more on that in a second, um, the opposition, which has 55 members out of 120, has every one of them has the right to speak for five minutes. So no one's going to give up on the five minutes of television time, even at three in the morning. And so they will actually use, they can use all 55. I can't leave the building because I'm in the coalition, because if I, they could also all drop out and go from 55 to 51 and then have a snap vote. Mm -hmm. So I've been, I've been actually hauled out of a bathroom stall <laughs> to vote. Get out of there, they're going to vote, you know. Uh, but not that. Even, even have us put us up in the hotels at night and they'll call us out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and run over here. So that's, you know, democracy has its price. I'm actually only your age and I look like this <laughs> because, um, because I'm in this parliament. And, um, and uh, but with all that, uh, the Knesset passes about 4,000 pieces of legislation per year, which is one of the highest levels of any uh, parliamentary group, group in the world, much, much higher than the U.S. Congress, those of you from the United States, which is, the, we can't have polarization here. We can't have gridlock because there's too many parties. And you have, by definition, you have to reach across multiple aisles, not just because one, one aisle. That's the only way you get really significant uh, uh, legislation passed. And some things passed, you know, with 120 votes in favor and none against. Um, which is difficult because we have, we have Arab parties and we have ultra-Orthodox parties and they have very, very different agendas, as you can imagine. Um, what's a, the issues that are discussed here, and I have a point of reference because I spent a lot of time in the Congress, um, the issues get discussed here can be very much out of the box. It's a very progressive group. We, I've been in discussions on um, sensitizing uh, Israeli teenagers to the challenges of transgenderism, homophobia in the healthcare system, things you wouldn't imagine, uh, but also things that are beyond the ken for most states, like whether um, Israeli farms that are within missile range of Hamas in Gaza, whether they should get tax breaks. And then, you know, factories in southern Ashkelon, which is a city that's not far from Gaza, will come along and say, hey, what about us? We were actually hit by more missiles in 2014 war than, than the farms around Gaza were. And it, it sometimes, if you're not deeply embedded in Israeli reality, some of these discussions can seem very surreal indeed. Very surreal indeed. My classified committee, for example, um, dealt with incitement in the Palestinian Authority, what the Palestinian authorities are teaching Palestinian kids. Now, as I mentioned before, been through a couple of wars, been through some tough things. Uh, I would come out of that committee pale and retching because uh, some of the things they teach their kids are, are very, very, very disturbing. They're not just teaching their kids that they have to kill us, but they're teaching us how to kill us, where to stick the knife, where to draw the knife, and they use uh, you know, dummies and things like this. It, it, it's very, very disturbing. Um, things that go on the classified committees. Um, you could even take it a step further and say the list of democracies in the world is not getting longer, it's getting shorter. There are fewer democracies in the world today than there were, say, in the 1990s. Um, but there's an ultimate short list, and Israel's on the ultimate short list. That's the list, that's the list of countries that have no, never known a second of <coughs> non-democratic governance. United States, Canada, Great Britain, New Zealand, New Zealand, I don't know, 
get anybody upset if I left you off the list. Israel's on that list. So we're almost 70 years old. We're older than more than half the countries in the United Nations. Um, but we are the only country on that short list that's never known a second of, of peace. And those of you studying history will know that what destroys democracy most frequently is, is war and upheaval. So maintaining this democracy, maintaining the democracy where you have 21% of your population being ethnically and or religiously affiliated with the people who are trying to destroy you is no easy thing. And in the height of our War of Independence in 1948-1949, when 1% of the population here was killed, 1% of the Jewish population, you think what that would be in the United States, I'm a lousy at math, so what's 1% of 330 million? All right, people being killed in a six-month period, um, the state of Israel granted its Arab citizens the right to vote, even during the fighting. It's pretty amazing. Um, what I find most impressive, and it's only because, again, I can somehow have an out-of-body uh, Knesset experience, perhaps because I'm sleep-deprived, um, is that all of this is happening basically a two-hour drive from ISIS. You get in your car, travel north from here. You went up to the Golan? Yep. How far? It wasn't very far. You saw where the Syrian civil war is taking place. A half million people have been butchered there. If you get in the car outside the Knesset and drive six hours to the east, you'll be in Baghdad. About a three-hour, two-and-a-half driver here, you'll be in Sinai, where there's a, a not-so-low-level civil war going on with ISIS there. It's called ISIS West. It's fighting the Egyptians. Um, you travel an hour and a half to south. You're in Gaza. You're in Hamas land. Um, so the fact that in the middle of what is, I think, incontestably the most uh, volatile We'll see what happens with North Korea. Uh, the most volatile uh, area on Earth, that this building exists, that we have you know, a high-functioning country where there's electricity in the water, and you can drink the water that comes out of the tap because it's better than any water you're going to get in a bottle, um, is no small thing. Um, it, it, to me, it's one of the great accomplishments of the country is the democracy. And as I said before, it's, it's essential for our security. Well, it's essential for our security because it gives us space. It gives everybody space to air their grievances, to advance their interests, but to do it in a peaceful manner. You know, not a quiet manner, but a peaceful manner. And um, anybody thinks that democracy is a luxury here is, is deluding themselves. It is, it is essential for our existence, and I think it is fundamentally <coughs> It is inherently part of the Jewish character of the state to be democratic. Um, and I feel very strongly about it. Um, this week, matter of fact, in another hour and a half, um, hosting one of the largest congressional delegations ever to visit here. 150 uh, members of Congress are here this week, 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. Go give a speech like that that's to Republicans and Democrats. That's a hard one, uh, without alienating somebody. Um, and. Um, one thing that these, that these members of Congress always stress, and which I always stress in my remarks to them, is the shared values. And they are not as commonplace in the world today as you would, make, as you would think. They're, they're, they're increasingly a rarity. Um, and in my you know, lifetime, I've seen a lot of democratic countries go down the tubes. So that, that to me, is a, an extraordinary achievement. Um, there will be further tests. Uh, we continue to live in, in really the most volatile area in the real world. Right now we're tracking what's happening with the Iranians and the expansion of an Iranian empire in our region. It's very, very serious indeed. We are looking at the North Korea example and seeing how the uh, United States and the West stands up to a country that is openly acquiring uh, nuclear military capabilities. That's going to be an important issue for us. 
I, in my diplomatic work, which we haven't talked about at all, I deal mostly with the Palestinians um, and trying to find ways <coughs> of creating an atmosphere that is conducive to the renewal of peace negotiations. Um, and I can go into that in far greater detail, uh, both in the West Bank and in Gaza. Um, I can't say that I'm immensely successful at this right now. Um, we have our own restraints and our own interests, um, security restraints, political restraints, to be frank. But on the Palestinian side, not only do you have two Palestinian entities that hate each other, Hamas and, and the PA, the Palestinian Authority, al-Fatah, um, but you also have a, a, a great reluctance on the part of many in the Palestinian Authority to bring about a material improvement in the daily lives of Palestinians, lest the situation on the, Palest on the West Bank uh, appear too normalized. You understand that, what I'm saying? It can't be too good. They're under, they say they're under a brutal occupation, so they can't, you can't have like good life in Palestine, if that's the case. Um, I'm here to bring good life in Palestine. And hopefully that will actually not create a situation where it will make it more difficult for them to get into negotiations, but, 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 but facilitate uh, the return of the Palestinians to negotiate. At this state, I was in the last round of negotiations. The last round of negotiations were in 2009. Okay, you guys were junior high school? What? Really, something like that. Long time ago. So um, that's my hope. That's my hope. And I can go to great, greater detail of what I think about the peace treaty and the peace process. In any case, I'm delighted you're here. I think there's no substitute for actually seeing these issues up front. What you read in the press is not what you see. Um, Israel, one of our, um, I was just dealing with our economic advisor, the prime minister, talking about uh, the fact that we, are, we, we get fewer tourists here than Cyprus does. And I said, why? He says, well, in the world they think we're A, expensive, B, dangerous. And I said, well, expensive, well, uh, but dangerous we're not. Uh, you have something of, of a 11 to 12 times greater chance of getting hurt in, an American, in, in a major American city than you do here. It's very safe here, and I, I live in New York next to a park where women jog alone at 2 o'clock in the morning and no one has any fear about it. So it's, 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 it, it, there's no substitute for actually seeing us up close um, and getting that sense. So please, any, save all your hard questions. I'm ready to go. Thank you for listening to this podcast, a product of the Miriam Institute, Israel's future in Israel's hands. It's our pleasure to provide you with exclusive content about the State of Israel by way of lectures, seminars, debates and position papers featuring Israelis who have been at the heart of policymaking and policy implementation. The Miriam Institute is a US-based 501c3 non-for-profit for-purpose organization. If you're enjoying this program, why not partner with us today? Join us in our mission to steer, inform, and lead the international discourse about the State of Israel. Whether you invest in our campus initiatives, our work in the halls of legislation, or our gold standard tours to the State of Israel for international students and faculty, you can invest in the Miriam Institute today by making a tax-deductible donation to our work. Visit us online to learn more about our legacy and naming opportunities at www.miriaminstitute.org. The Miriam Institute, Israel's future in Israel's hands.